And so just a real quick backup before we jump in. Big picture. Daniel is an apocalyptic writing dealing with crisis. First half of the book um, is a series of stories about uh, the heroes of the faith who persevere in spite of much persecution. And then in chapter 7, of course, we shift to the pure apocalyptic, which is primarily a series of visions which kind of unlock the future and unlock what we might not know. Um, chapter 9 is actually an interlude. We've had sort of something developing there in chapter 7 and 8. We had the, the vision of the four beasts, the vision of the ram and the goat. And if you remember being here the last couple of weeks, those visions uh, are very detailed and place the story really in the second century with Antiochus Epiphanes and what leads to the Maccabean Revolt. As we go forward, chapters 10, 11, and 12, which is actually one piece, it's kind of one vision with an introduction and a, a part on the other side, continues that and gives more details. What we have now is something in between. It's like the whole action of Daniel just stops, and we step to the side, and we deal with a side issue. And the side issue is, for Daniel's community, a very, very important one. It's a burning question for Daniel's audience, and it explores one of the great questions of faith. How do you know if a prophecy is true? Or how do you know if somebody says something in the name of God that you actually can trust it? Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, who had a very, very long career, is the one credited with probably having the most common sense approach to this issue. Uh, and there was this famous conflict with Hananiah. And if you're like me, a little refreshing is pretty good. <laughs> Jeremiah was prophesying, this is before the destruction of Jerusalem, prophesying that unless God's people and the king did what God wanted, they would be punished and they would then go into exile. And Jeremiah is notorious for running around doing strange things. He shows up one day before the king and he has a yoke, like you'd put over an ox. And, and basically... Uh, similar type of thing was used on slaves when they were hauled off into slavery. And so he shows up one day with a yoke and says, thus says the Lord. If you don't get your act straight, this will happen to you. There's another prophet there by the name of Hananiah. Takes the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck, breaks it, throws it to the ground and says, thus says the Lord, Jeremiah is a liar. It will not happen. Jeremiah shows up the next day with a yoke of iron. <laughs> okay. And then he says this. As to the prophet who prophesies, referencing Hananiah here, and himself, because Jeremiah has prophesied that one thing will happen, and Hananiah has prophesied that the exact opposite will happen, so how do you know? As for the prophet who prophesies, when the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Now that's a practical approach, okay? <laughs> Doesn't help you much in the moment, but 2020 hindsight is always the best kind. Now here's the question, and this is the burning question in chapter 9 of Daniel. Do we hold Daniel to his own standard? Because Daniel made some prophecies about the exile and about when the exile would end. Jeremiah prophesied more than once, it's in chapter 25 and it's in chapter 29, that the exile would only last 70 years, then God would bring the exile to an end, God would bring the people back from exile, 
God would restore them and it would be better than it ever was. Uh, the problem is, centuries passed, there were four groups of exiles who did return. Nehemiah brought a group at the end. Ezra brought a group before that. Zedekiah brought a group. Uh, Belshazzar brought a group. But the majority, just a few hundred people, the majority never came back. They still have no king. They are still occupied by foreign power. And so at the time that Daniel's written for, what we've been looking at, really the second century, things are not getting better. They're getting worse. And this persecution by Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus who wants to be called God, uh, has brought the darkest days for God's people since the destruction of Jerusalem. So what about God's promise to Jeremiah? How can the God's promise be true when Jeremiah says 70 years and it'll be over and 70 years have gone, come and gone, and a lot more have come and gone, and so much of what was anticipated, what has been promised, simply does not come. So this is the problem that Daniel chapter 9 stops and deals with. Before we go on and have the climactic vision of what God will come, we have to deal with the issue, but, 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 what about Daniel's, pro what about Jeremiah's prophecy? Why didn't it happen? Why didn't it happen in 70 years? Um, the answer will come, as it always comes in Daniel in a vision. So here we have an a vision breaking in, and the vision gives Daniel the answer. So we start. And by the way, this is a very, very long prayer, and I've edited it. If you want to read the whole thing, good luck. Uh, I thought we might want to get out by 2 o'clock this afternoon. Long, so it's the same thing about four or five times. So we're just going to get one version of it. In the first year of Darius, son of Asherus, by birth and Mede, an interesting little footnote here, uh, nobody in the world knows who this person is. We have a complete list of all the kings, and this person's not listed. We're not sure who they're referring to. I uh, became king of the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books. What books might those be? Might those be? What's your guess? The books. The Bible. This is the first known reference in history to Scripture. He is actually consulting written documents that are Scripture, searching the Scriptures, looking for an answer. This, is never been, this has never happened before, so far as we know. This is the first time. The number, what's he looking for? The numbers of the years that according to the word of the Lord and the prophet Jeremiah must be fulfilled for the devastation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Searching the scriptures, what does he find there in the book of uh, Jeremiah? He finds that the, the exile should have only lasted 70 years. Then I turn to the Lord God to seek an answer by prayer and supplication. What do you think he's trying to figure out? Why did it take more than 70 years? If God sends a prophet, the prophet says 70, what are you going to expect it's going to be? 70. Okay, it's not. It's much, much longer. I turn to the Lord to seek an answer in prayer supplication, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. What does that tell you? It's not just a prayer. Repentance. Okay, he's very mindful of sin. Ah, Lord, great and awesome God, keeping covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. We have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. 
Righteousness is on your side, O Lord, but open shame as to this day falls on us. Now, as it develops, he's actually referring to the sins that led to the destruction of Jerusalem and to the exile and the destruction of the temple and all that back in the 500s. So he's referring to sins from centuries ago. The people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands in which you have driven them. Remember the ten northern tribes were taken back in 722, scattered to the winds, never to be seen again. And then a couple of centuries later, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin are taken away because of the treachery that they committed against you. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. And for your own sake, Lord, let your face shine upon your desolated sanctuary. So the prayer supposes that the sanctuary is not there, or there, there is a passage of Scripture which says that there was Solomon's temple, it was destroyed, and then at the end of the exile, they did come back and they rebuilt the temple. And there's a passage of the Bible that says, though who had seen the first temple, the temple of Solomon, on seeing the second that they'd rebuilt, wept. And it was not for joy, because the rebuilt temple was just a shadow of what the other one had been. It was pathetic. Uh, and they wept over that. Incline your ear to my, oh my God, and hear. Open your eyes and look, God. Like, God, you've got your eyes shut. Can you, can you not see that we're suffering here? Can you not, can you not count, God? Seventy. Seventy's come and gone. And the city that bears your name. Oh God, hear. Oh God, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. And by the way, do it now. It's a good prayer. If you want a biblical precedent for a prayer, yeah. now's better than later, okay? For your own sake, not for us, do it for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people bear your name. It's an embarrassment to God that God's name would be treated so roughly in the world. Now, Long prayer, repetitious prayer, but, uh, and I've edited it down, but the, the basic idea is very, very simple. It has a simple message. This is, this is the, the theology of Deuteronomy. Remember the theology of Deuteronomy? Uh, a lot of the books of the Bible, like Job and Jonah, fight, and Ecclesiastes, fight the theology. Uh, apocalyptic will try to tweak it a little bit. Uh, the theology was simply this. If you obey God, things go well. You'll prosper and have a long life. Deuteronomy says that several times. If you do not obey God, things don't go quite as well, and you will perish. If we suffer, there's a real simple reason. Why do we suffer? You must have done something wrong, Job. The tragedy that fell Jerusalem came about as punishment for the sins of Judah. But the way to forgiveness is through what? Repentance. So what is the essence of Daniel's prayer? asking for forgiveness it's a prayer asking for that so this is the way out and it's the entire focus of the prayer now th there's a little twist there it's a little bit surprising because the prayer sets you up and the deuteronomic theology sets you up that the way that we're going to move forward is we have to repent but at the end of the prayer it says that the real reason is not because of repentance that god should do it but god do it not for us do it for yourself this is a little embarrassing for you you pick these people, and now they're the laughing stock of the whole world. And God, that means they're laughing at you. It's a very interesting kind of thought. 
that God's people are still being punishment, uh, punished as an embarrassment to God, and particularly because of the city and the nation. Now, the city and the nation had been destroyed back in the 500s, but do you remember what happened in the second century with Antiochus Epiphanes? He came in again, tore down the walls of the city, damaged the city greatly, desecrated the temple, and we're about to get a lot more specific about that. Now, one of the things that really stands out when people see this prayer is, again, it, it's the, the earliest known reference we have anywhere. You simply do not find this before the exile. Uh, apparently, during the exile and during that period afterwards, when they did not have the temple, when they did not have a king, when they did not have the high priest, what could you still organize your faith around? Scripture. And it's in this period that the, the, de the Pentateuch kind of comes together. The traditions were already there but they're woven together in what we call the Pentateuch. And there was all those, remember those prophets that kept saying annoying things that nobody ever listened to? Well, then in 2020 hindsight, it turns out the prophets may have been saying something we needed to hear. And so the prophets begin to be collected. We have, we have stories in Jeremiah and Isaiah in particular where it says, write it down because nobody in this generation will listen, but maybe someday in the future somebody might actually pay attention and listen to it. And so it's exactly what happens. Uh, these books or scriptures, it turns out, are two different bodies of material. We have the Law of Moses, which we would today call the Pentateuch, and we have the writings of the prophets. Now, we don't know which ones those are, but we know one of them. Uh, Daniel is among the earliest documents, and many would say it's the earliest, to refer specifically to scripture, and that scripture is constituted by Torah, law, and by Nevi'im, the prophets, those two. Uh, Sirach and Maccabees are written about the same time. It's interesting. There are the other two books that mention this, and Sirach actually takes it a step further. Maccabees 15. But Maccabeus did not cease to trust with all confidence, it's actually Judas Maccabeus, that he would get help from the Lord. He looked for the victory that the Almighty would give them, encouraging them. This is his army. So how are you going to encourage them? From the law and from the prophets. So he's reading scripture to them to encourage them. Sirach. Sirach is a book, but then it also has a prologue. Uh, prologue is actually written by his grandson. So and it, it contains the first uh, references to the threefold division. If, if you know your Old Testament, your Old Testament today is divided into three parts, right? The law, the prophets, and the writings. Psalms, Proverbs, Esther, things like that. And it's called scripture. Here's the prologue. Many great teachings have been given to us through the law and the prophets and the other writings that followed them. Doesn't specify, but you can think Psalms, Proverbs, probably Job, things like that. Those who read the scriptures, this is the first reference we have to the term scriptures from the same period, must be able through the spoken and written word to help uh, so my grandfather devoted himself especially to the reading of the law, the prophets, and the other books of our ancestors. So we're in a period of time, second century, where scripture has emerged. It is essentially what you and I would have today in the, as our Old Testament, law, <laughs> prophets, and writings. And this is, in fact, what Daniel's consulting. Daniel's reading it. Uh, and it clearly is called scripture, and it has authority. This is new. It's a giant step. The canon won't be closed in the Old Testament until probably the 8th century A.D. 
but it's essentially there in the second century B.C. Daniel perceives in the books by reading them, by looking at them, especially the prophet Daniel, that the exile should have lasted 70 years. And Daniel 29, uh, I mean, Jeremiah 29, we have this. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So, and he repeats this also in chapter 25. So this promise is out there. God said it to a prophet, so it ought to be true. Creates a problem, which is what chapter 9 is dealing with, because Daniel's a little puzzled here, you know. So he turns to the Lord to seek an answer. Uh, the problem is 70 came, 70 went. We still got problems. At the time that Daniel's being written, the second century, most of the Jews still have not returned. By the way, by the time of Jesus, first century A.D., estimates are over nine out of every ten Jews in the world do not live in Palestine. They live in Babylon. They live in Asia Minor. They live in Greece. They live in Italy. They live in North Africa. They live all over the place. So this hope that God's people would all return was unfulfilled. This is what we call the diaspora, or it's also called the exile. Not only had not most of them not returned, we still don't have a Davidic throne. David, King of David, is on the throne. And this will then lead to what hope? Remember? What's the Hebrew word for anointed? Messiah. We have the birth here of messianic hope. Uh, Jews do not have an independent state. Their land is occupied. <coughs> Foreigners govern them, all of which they hope would go away. So no matter how you calculate it, Jeremiah's timeline of 70 years did not work. And this is a struggle for Daniel. He takes the scriptures seriously. And if you take the scriptures seriously and the math doesn't add up, something's going on here. It wasn't and it could not be 70 years, at least in the regular sense. So what do you think the angel's going to give him? The key to unlock the meaning of 70 years and what that, what that involves. Um, so the promise, they're going to last 70 years, is made by the God through the prophet Jeremiah, who's the only person who can give you the real meaning of what it means. If God gave you the original prophecy, who's the only one that can give you the new meaning? God. And in the book of uh, Daniel, uh, God speaks through scriptures sometimes, but throughout the entire book, what does God speak through? God speaks through visions. And of course, we have. Now, we, that Daniel's got a question. He's struggling. He's read scripture. He's got part of the answer, but he's got a conundrum. It's not making sense to him. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel. We've been introduced to Gabriel before. Okay. He's actually not a man, but an angel. One of the archangels. Whom I had seen before in, my, in the vision came to me in swift flight. The earliest recorded instance of an angel flying. So how do we depict angels today? Wings, okay? At the time of the evening sacrifice. Uh, there's three sacrifices at the temple. They became traditional times of prayer. So Daniel's praying at a traditional time of prayer. He came to me and said, Daniel, I've come out. I guess come out from heaven, come out from God to give you wisdom and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, when your prayer just started, not at the end of it, at the beginning, a word went out. And I've come to declare it. 
for you are greatly beloved by God. Uh, so consider the word, Daniel. Understand the vision. Okay, you have a conundrum. I've got the answer. So listen up, boy. You know, this is coming. Seventy weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city. Now, according to Jeremiah, it was what? Seven years. Seventy years. Now we have 70 weeks, which if you take it literally, is shorter. But of course, this is a vision. It's not literal. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. At the end of 70 weeks, all this sin that you prayed about will be atoned for and it will be forgiven. So at the end of 70 weeks, whatever that figure is, is what we want to focus on. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet. So Daniel, if you want to know what the prophet really meant, what 70 years means, the vision will interpret it. And this I'm about to give you seals both what the first prophet said and now the vision adds to it. So it's the prophecy plus the vision together that will give you the answer that you're searching, uh, searching for and to anoint my most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand from the time that the word went out to restore and build Jerusalem. That's an actual historic event. Anybody remember that? Who gave permission to Israel to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, and return home? Cyrus I of Persia. We actually have an archaeological find, the Cyrus Cylinder. It's a big clay cylinder like that, and it's got that decree on it. It's also in the book of Isaiah and several other places, so it's a historical event. Until the time of an anointed prince. Prince could be anointed as the word Messiah, but it could be, who did we anoint in Israel? Kings, which we don't have, by the way. There's no kings at this point. Who else is anointed? Priests. And who else? Prophets. And this is the period that it's believed prophecy had come to an end. So we have no kings. We have no prophets. What do we have? Priests. This is the second reference to Onias III, the high priest. There shall be seven weeks. So from the time Cyrus I issues his decree until there's actually a high priest at the altar in Jerusalem will be what? Seven weeks. Turns out it was 49 years. What does that tell you? A week means a week of years. So 70 weeks is 70 weeks of years. So 70 years has now been changed to 70 times 7 years. Or seven, yeah, 70 times 7, which shifts it somewhat. And for 62 weeks, abacus out, calculator out, it's going to bump you down about four centuries. It shall be built again with streets and moat or, or wall, but it's going to be a troubled time. Have we been hearing about troubled times? All through the book. After the 62 weeks, right smack dab in the second century, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Remind you of somebody? Onias III, who was kicked out by Antiochus Epiphanes and then assassinated. And the troops of the prince, 
king who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary again. That's the year 167 B.C. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war, Maccabean revolt, desolations are decreed. Remember the uh, desolation of abomination that they put on the altar of the temple, an altar to a Greek god, Zeus. And that's the abomination. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. How long is this bugger going to last? How long is this difficult time going to last? Seven years and a half a week. Nine to ten years, and it'll be gone. Make sacrifice and offering cease, which Antiochus did, and then their place shall be an abomination that desolates until the decreed end. Who's decreeing? Who decrees? God decrees, so write it in stone. In ten years, if you're in the middle of this, calculate however we've been in, how long we've been in it from ten, that's all we've got left, is poured out upon the desolator. Several interesting things here. One is the prayer is answered before it is said, which tells you something interesting. It's not the content of the prayer that's important. What's important? That you pray. Okay. It says that he just starts to pray, and it comes. The angel is sent, uh, not at the end of the prayer, when we know exactly what Daniel is asking for. The angel is sent as he starts to pray. Um, so again, it's not the content. Um, very similar to some of the teaching of Jesus. Uh, the act of prayer evokes a response. First reference we have to angels flying. Uh, and therefore we have, the, the, of course, the image we then get is wings because in the ancient world, if it flies, it has wings, this common sense. Uh, it's this angel who's going to solve Daniel's dilemma the conundrum, you know, why, why am I waiting longer than 20 years, uh, 70 years? Why have things not worked out the way we thought? And the answer, of course, is 70 weeks of years. To seal both vision and profit, that what, what, Dan, what Jeremiah said still stands, but it needs to be tweaked. It needs to be interpreted, and the angel can do that, and he'll add to that and interpret. The key to the 70 weeks is actually already found. By the way, what the angel gives Daniel was already there. The key, that seven years are actually of, of exile, 70 years, is actually 70 weeks of years, is actually in the Bible. Daniel dismissed it. And so the angel will give that back to him uh, in, the, in the interpretation of this meeting. Daniel perceived in the books, we've got 70 years, he's puzzled. He's thinking literally, it should have been 70 years on the calendar, didn't happen. The angel now is going to give him some information that had he really paid attention, it was already there. The heart of the angel's message is that the years in exile are just not ordinary years. Years in exile are not years of 365 days. It's a different kind of year. And Leviticus and 2 Chronicles provide the key that unlocks this. This is 2 Chronicles. He took them into exile in Babylon. This is a reference... Uh, two histories of Israel are written during the exile. One is the Deuteronomic history, which includes First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuels. The other is the Chronicler, which Ezra and Nehemiah are part of this. So from the Chronicler's history, this. He took them into exile in Babylon to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had prophesied. Remember the yoke around the neck? 
you will go into exile. All the days that lay desolate, it kept Sabbath. Now we have a play on words here with the two meanings of Sabbath. What's the meaning we've been taught? Sabbath means worship in the, in the rest. Okay. Uh, the, the word Shabbat literally means in Hebrew to rest. Okay. It also has a second meaning. Do you know what it is? It means seven. It means rest and it means seven. God created the universe in how many days? Six. The seventh day God and he called it the seventh Shabbat Sabbath to fulfill the 70 years. So the years in exile are spent keeping seventh or sevens or Shabbat and it's this 70 years that provide the key to Jeremiah's message. Leviticus 26. I will scatter you among the nations. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath years. As long as it's destined. So as long as we're in the exile, we don't count time the way we normally do. As long as we're in the exile, we count them not as years, we count them as Sabbath years. Uh, while you are in the land of your enemies, then the land shall rest. That's one meaning of the word Sabbath. And it shall enjoy its Sabbath years. So again, they're not ordinary years, they're Sabbath years. Leviticus and Chronicles make the connection between exile, the time that we are away, the time we're apart, and a particular kind of time called Sabbath years. So again, not only rest, it refers to seven Deuteronomy. Again, the Deuteronomy is part of the Deuteronomic history, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So it also means seven. The 70 years of exile, Jeremiah prophesied it, but they're not what you would normally count. They're years of seven. So for every year that, that Jeremiah prophesied, you got to multiply by seven. So 70 becomes a long time, okay? Uh, the purpose of the vision, again, this is what the angel said, that you might know and might understand why the fulfillment of God's prophecies took so long, and now what's going to happen. Uh, and what we have and what follows is the angel maps out for, for, Jeremiah, uh, for uh, Daniel four time periods. And he happens to be living in the end one. First period is the time the word went out to rebuild Jerusalem. This was Cyrus I of Persia, the year we know exactly, 538 B.C. That's when he did that. Till the anointed one, the ruler, comes, which is about 49, 50 years later. So it's, and as the angel says, it's seven sevens or seven weeks so 49 years that matter this will be followed by a longer period of 62 weeks of years again that's more than four centuries this will be a troubled time which is we've been reading daniel it is a troubled time it's a difficult time this period takes us down to the second century the maccabean crisis at the end of the 62 weeks which is the time that daniel's audience is actually living in there's going to be a third period and this third period is a time of crisis an anointed one will be cut off. Who's the anointed one? Probably Onias III, the last of the hereditary Zadokite bishops, Zadok being the high priest appointed by Solomon, and a member of his family had been high priest for 500 years until 
Onias III is kicked out, and Antiochus Epiphanes then starts selling the office of high priest to the highest bidder. And so the, the priesthood, as it's been known, comes to an end. Troops and the prince shall come devastate the city, the sanctuary. The prince shall make sacrifice and offering cease. You remember from the books of Maccabees? This is mapped out there. He, he forbid circumcision. He forbid Torah. He forbid Sabbath practice. He forbid offerings at the temple. He just shut it down. Shall erect an abomination of des that desolates. And in the book of Maccabees, it's called the abomination, the, the abomination of desolation. Same exact language. Uh, the anointed one, kings, prophets. Again, uh, this is clearly the high priest. Onias III murdered deposed and murdered near 170. The third period, which we're now in, will only last a week and a half. Things will be extremely difficult. And here's the math. The exile is going to last 70 weeks of years. 69 have come and gone. So what does that tell you? Showtime. Okay, it's showtime for God. We're there. Uh, we've only got one left of 10 years. Um, so Daniel's audience is living in the last week. The time for the end of the exile has come. All that remains is the details. And what we're going to have there is one final vision, Daniel 10, 11, and 12. Long passage, we'll take three weeks on it, that lays it out in great detail. If you have any doubt that we're not in the second century and not dealing with the geopolitics of the age, by the time you finish 10, 11, and 12, there's going to be no doubt. You just got a graduate level course in second century Greek history. Okay? <laughs> there's no doubt. He just simply lays it out. Now, three weeks, we'll hit 10, which sort of sets up the, the final con conclusive uh, vision. And for the next two weeks, we're going to take a break, because next week is what? Palm Sunday, and the week after is Easter, and we do not meet in Krigman Easter. Uh, so what we're going to do next week, uh, we've looked at Holy Week before, but we've not done what we're going to do this year, which is take one session just to walk through from Palm Sunday to Good Friday. What do we know happened following the Gospel of Mark? And so I think that'll be a treat. Meanwhile, 